Last Lord's Day, we began a series of lessons noting that uh, at this time of year, the holiday season, you uh, see a lot of fruit uh, baskets, holiday fruit baskets, and fruit that is uh, being exchanged as a part of goodies in the basket along with other things that are not so good for you, as we said, sometimes. But as we think about fruit and the exchange of uh, joyous gifts and this type of family time, there's another kind of fruit, as we noted last week, that we need to be much more concerned about than any kind of fruit that we might uh, find as succulent and tasty as it might be in a fruit basket. And that's our spiritual basket and what kind of fruit we have in it. We mentioned that there are some commercials going around now that are quite uh, frequent in terms of their airing, which end, one of them does, what's in your wallet? Another, what's in your safe? But the question we are asking in this series is a very important question, that's what's in your basket. And we base the question on Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 where the fruit of the Spirit is set forth by the Apostle Paul in his writing. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Last week we looked at the first of these beautiful characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit being love. The crowning characteristic, if you will, as it is so often depicted in Scripture and as we noted from various passages. But as we think about what we next put into our basket or that we make sure is there, the next attribute or characteristic on the list is joy. Joy. And as we think about joy, we certainly know what the definition is, something that brings uh, pleasure, gladness, uh, the idea of rejoicing is closely uh, related. And the primary word in the New Testament for joy has as its cognates the words grace and rejoicing. And the idea is often associated with rejoicing over the grace of God. The grace of God should bring to our minds and hearts tremendous joy if indeed we have availed ourselves of that grace and if we have appropriated and accepted that grace through obedience to the gospel. But what better way could we think about joy in the New Testament than to think about Jesus? To think about Jesus. Jesus and joy. And our key text is John 15, verse 11. Within the context of the three chapters of 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel according to John, Jesus is addressing his apostles at a time when he was about to leave them and to go back to the Father. And he said to them, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That my joy that my joy may be in you, remain in you, and that your joy may be full. My joy. That's what we're going to think about today. The joy of Jesus. 
the joy of Jesus and how we as followers of Jesus should emulate in our lives and display in our lives that same kind of joy. Should we not, if indeed we're followers of Jesus? He did say to his apostles, I want my joy to remain in you. Would that not equally be true of all disciples for all time to come? That the desire of Jesus would be that we have his joy and that, that our joy be full. Before we go further, we add that the idea of joy and love, those two attributes are clearly tied together, one flowing from the other, and both relate to the keeping of the Lord's commandments. If you look at the larger context in which John 15, 11 is found, and look at the verse before and the verse after, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Then we're back to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And then verse 12 follows, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so love and joy are completely encompassed or surrounded by what? Commandments and the keeping of his commandments. That's where real joy is found if we're thinking as we should. That's how love is manifested to the highest degree is in the keeping of his commandments. If you love me, remember John 15, 14, a few verses later, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And so think with me for a few minutes about the joy of Jesus. What does it involve? First of all, the joy of Jesus is knowing. The joy of Jesus is knowing, not speculating, not doubting at all, but the joy of Jesus is knowing. And Jesus, as he lived among men, demonstrated that he knew what? Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Is Jesus not saying here, I know the Father? Would that not produce joy in knowing the Father? Absolutely. But then he also adds, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And so there we learn, obviously, that Jesus came to reveal the Father to us so that we, through him, could know the Father. And that knowledge produces joy. The Hebrews writer spoke of the joy tied to knowledge when he wrote in Hebrews 10, 34, for you had compassion on me, writing to these Christians, you had compassion on me in my chains, and listen to it, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Listen to it. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves, in heaven. You were willing to sacrifice your material goods because you understood that there was something far greater. You knew that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Can we know today that we have that same possession awaiting us in heaven? Absolutely. And what does that knowledge produce? Joy. It has to produce, should produce, it must produce joy. Christians don't go around looking like they've been weaned on a sour pickle, as the expression goes. We have so many reasons to be joyful, 
as we are now examining as we look at this fruit of the Spirit, one of which is knowing. The joy of Jesus is knowing. Now as we go further, John writes, Now by this we know that we know Him, and we get back to what? Commandments. By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, the emphasis on keeping the clear, clearly revealed commandments of the New Testament. And if we fail to do that, we cannot know him. And if we fail to know him, we really cannot have true, genuine joy that comes or grows out of that knowledge. And so our joy comes from knowing, just as the joy of Jesus came from knowing the Father. And it enabled him to endure everything that he endured. And yes, at times he is called, and rightfully so, the man of sorrows. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sorrowful to the extent that he sweat drops of blood because of that sorrow. But he always knew that he knew the Father. And there was joy in that knowledge that even those sorrowful times could never take away from him. And the same should be true of all of us, if indeed we're following Christ and emulating the joy of Jesus. And so the joy of Jesus, first of all, is knowing. But secondly, the joy of Jesus is showing. As we said, we don't need to walk around looking like, as Christians, that we've been weaned on a sour pickle. Because the joy of Jesus should show. It should show in our lives. Did it show in the life of Jesus? Well, on one occasion, after the return of the 70, he said, in that hour, the scripture says, in that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Jesus rejoiced. Jesus showed rejoicing. He rejoiced over the success of the teaching of God and Christ and the gospel, as must we. The book of Acts has been called the book of joy by some. Brother Chuck Northrop, I read recently, had mentioned this point in some very excellent material. That the book of Acts has been called the book of joy because there's so much joy that is shown there. Think of some passages. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with what? Gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you think there was any joy being shown among them? Well, the passage says there was. They ate their food with gladness, with joy, and with simplicity of heart. Then you go to Acts 8.39. Remember the conclusion of the conversion of the Philippian jailer? Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. What about Acts 16, 34? 
and the culmination of the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Now when he had brought them, that is Paul and Silas, into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. And what about this one in Acts 5, 40 and 41? And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, this is the Sanhedrin before whom they had been called. When they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council. What? Hurting? Oh, yeah, they were hurting (laughs) physically. But the scripture calls attention to their rejoicing. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Why? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Even in adversity, the scriptures reveal that the disciples of Christ demonstrated their joy. It was the same joy that Jesus demonstrated even in his suffering. And so the joy of Jesus is knowing The joy of Jesus is showing, showing that joy. But the joy of Jesus is also growing. Our our joy should really grow. As we grow in every other aspect of our Christian living, our joy should become a greater joy. What about Jesus? Is there any sense in which we could say the joy of Jesus grew at all? After all, Jesus was deity. Did his joy grow or was his joy at at the optimum level, at the highest level from day one? Well, no, Luke 2.52 says he grew in wisdom and, and stature and in favor with God and man. But Jesus was not only divine, he became human and he lived as a human being and he experienced sorrow and he experienced joy. But I believe there's a very real sense in in which we could say that the joy of Jesus also grew. What about John 17 and his prayer to the Father during his last hours on the earth? In verse 5 of that prayer, Jesus prayed, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Does that, does that plea to be, to be glorified with that same glory that he once had indicate that he was anticipating a joy that was even greater than the joy that he experienced as a human as well as being divine on earth? And then in verse 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, is there anything in that, in that phrase that would indicate an anticipation of the greatest possible joy being restored to him, the joy that he once had as being equal with God, and that he was anticipating that joy being restored, and even greater joy because of the redemptive work that he had accomplished? Remember in this same prayer at verse 4 he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. 
So I'm coming to you. I'm coming home, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Now I mentioned the anticipated greater joy that Jesus would experience having accomplished his work. Isn't that what the Hebrews writer tells us right here in Hebrews 12 and verse 2? Listen to it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him, a joy that he had not yet experienced, but a joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus about which the Hebrews writer writes here? It would have to be the joy of finishing his redemptive work and knowing that the price had been paid for the sins of all mankind for all time to come who would come to him through obedience to the gospel. What joy. What joy. A growing joy, even in Jesus, I believe it can be accurately said, yes, based on the passages that we have looked at. And then John writes in 1 John 1, 4, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That's Jesus again in John 15, 11. And then we compare it to what John wrote in 1 John 1, 4, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Now, I've put these passages together for this reason. Notice Jesus says, these things, in the verse we looked at earlier, these things I have spoken to you, that in order that my joy may be what? May remain in you, and that your joy may be full. John, after Jesus had ascended back to the Father, writes in 1 John, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. John says, these things... We write to you in order that your joy may be full. What's the point? Fullness of joy can only be achieved by feeding upon that which will allow that joy to not only remain in us, but grow stronger every day. And when we fail to feed upon that which produces the fullness of joy, we rob ourselves of the one, one of the greatest and most beautiful characteristics of the Christian life, and that is joy. The joy of Jesus is growing in joy in direct proportion to how we feed upon that which will produce that joy. Don't expect to be very joyful if you ignore the Word of God. But the joy of Jesus is not only knowing and showing and growing, but it's also going. And there are two senses in which we examine this particular point. The joy of Jesus is in going. The joy of Jesus is going to a lost world with the gospel of Christ. That ought to produce tremendous joy. The joy of Jesus is going to those who have left their first love and bringing them home on our shoulders, as it were, as the parable in Luke 15, one of those parables depicts bringing them home on our shoulders rejoicing as the shepherd brings that lost sheep home and invites his neighbors to rejoice with him because 
That which was lost has been found. The joy of Jesus is going to the lost. And therefore, that ought to be our joy. You remember at a time when Jesus was fatigued, thirsty, hungry, and the disciples had gone to to get food, and he encountered the woman at the well and took so much time with this woman and taught her about himself and convicted her that he was indeed the Christ. And she went into the village and brought others to hear him, many of whom became followers of Christ. Jesus did all of that because of the joy of going to lost souls, because of the joy of going to one lost soul, a materialistic, morally deficient woman who could think about nothing more than give me this water so that I don't have to come to this well anymore and draw water, as he spoke of himself as spiritual living water, and she failed to get the point initially at all. But he was patient with her, and ultimately she got the point. And she went into that village, and she said, Come, here a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And all of that was attributable to the joy of Jesus in going to the lost individually and collectively. The Son of Man, he said, as recorded in Luke 19.10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And on this occasion, here's what he said to his apostles, who wondered that he was even speaking with this woman. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Those fields already white for harvest were not fields of literal grain to which Jesus referred, but to precious souls. And Jesus exhibited great joy in going to them compassionately and continuously and finishing the work that he was to do. And so we go back on this point to Hebrews 12, 2. And we see the joy of Jesus in going in another sense. Not only going to the lost as he lived among men, but going home when that work was finished. And that takes us back to a passage we looked at earlier. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy that was set before him? The joy of finishing the work of going to the lost, paying the ultimate price, shedding his sinless blood for you and for me, and then the joy of going home. The joy that was set before him. Because of that joy, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Shouldn't we emulate the joy of Jesus not only in going to the lost, but the joy of Jesus as we anticipate going home? And should our minds not be set on things above and not on things of the earth, as Paul reminds us in Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1? And shouldn't we be so homesick? that we just simply can't wait for the joy that will be set before us when we stand before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the what? 
joy of your Lord. The joy of Jesus is knowing, is showing, is growing, and it's going. You may have seen the acrostic about joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And that produces true joy. Reminds us that our joy depends upon our perspective, doesn't it? Whether we understand and appreciate and realize the fullness of joy that Jesus wants us to realize in our lives depends upon our perspective. Is your perspective Jesus first, others second, and yourself last? Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 39 as it's recorded there? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus first, others second, and yourself in dead last. And when yourself is first or even second, you rob yourself of the true joy, the joy of Jesus. And so our desire for you would be the desire that Paul expressed for the Christians at Rome. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can still abound in hope and joy and all of these other beautiful characteristics we're studying in this series by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in a direct miraculous way, but by His power through His Word, which gives us all we need to fill our baskets with love and with joy and with peace, about which we'll speak, Lord willing, and all of these other wonderful attributes that we'll talk about, the Lord willing, in these future lessons. What about you? Can you say that you are filled with that joy and peace? Notice how he connects that joy and peace to what? Believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. In unbelief, there is no joy. In unbelief, there is no peace. In unbelief, there is no abounding in hope because you are without hope. But thanks be to God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is through His Word, you may leave here today with that joy, unspeakable joy, with that unsurpassed peace, and with that boundless hope. How so? By believing that Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. By acting upon that belief, by repenting of your sins, Luke 13, 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all in like manner perish. By confessing sweetly that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, and with that confession, knowing that you plan to live that confession out every day of your life. For Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. 
And when you have acted upon your faith by truly turning away from your sins in repentance, have confessed sweetly his name, then you're ready to be buried with him in baptism as he has commanded that you may rise to walk in newness of life, having been cleansed in that water, not by the water, but by the blood that is applied there because that's where Jesus has designated that you must go in order to meet him and his blood. He who believes and is baptized, will be saved. How much clearer could it be? If you've done those things, but you no longer have the joy that you once had when you came forth from that watery grave, you no longer experience the peace, and you no longer have the hope because you know you've turned your back on those things by sin that needs to be repented of in a public way. Come home. Come home. And let us and the angels of heaven rejoice with you as we stand to sing.